Are you feeling out of your depth attempting to parent your child's online world? Parenting in Cyberspace is brought to you by Parentline and the Queensland Government. This season talks about supporting young people's online well-being and experiences with cyberbullying. And this child that we leave behind us with our online footprints isn't like footprints in the sand. It isn't that they're going to come along and then be washed away once the water comes up. It's more like footprints in wet and sticky concrete that have dried. In this episode of the Parenting in Cyberspace podcast, I'm going to be chatting to Kids Helpline at School facilitator, Steph. Steph started working at Kids Helpline in 2017 as a counsellor, and her passion for supporting young people through providing early intervention discussions and strategies is what eventually led her to become a Kids Helpline at School facilitator in 2019. Kids Helpline at School is a free early intervention and prevention program for both primary school students across Australia and high school students across northern Queensland and New South Wales. The sessions are all evidence-informed and curriculum-aligned and are facilitated by qualified Kids Helpline counsellors like Steph via webcam into the classroom. Sessions include both online and offline topics related to student wellbeing and support-seeking. Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. Ah, thank you, Alia, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you start by telling me a little bit more about the Kids Helpline at School program? So the Kids Helpline at School program is a free program for schools across Australia. So we provide sessions around wellbeing, both physical face-to-face wellbeing, but then also digital wellbeing. So the sessions are completely free for schools, for primary school students across Australia and then high school students in New South Wales and Northern Queensland. Uh, So the sessions are run through webcam um, into the classroom itself. And then we talk about early intervention and prevention strategies for the students. We'll leave the uh, information on how to get in touch with Kids Helpline at school in the show notes. What are some of the topics that you run? You mentioned that physical well-being as well as digital or online well-being. Specifically within those things, what are some of the topics that you run? So we talk about online safety, being kind online, positive online footprints, cyberbullying. And then from a physical world wellbeing, we talk about mental health. We talk about managing our emotions, developing resilience. So there is a large range of topics for the teachers to choose from. And within those digital topics, what are some of the things that you would cover off? So say, for example, in a being kind online session or in a cyberbullying session, what are some of the things that you would be looking at with the students. All of our sessions are evidence-informed and they're curriculum-aligned. So with those sessions, for example, for cyberbullying, we'll talk about what exactly is cyberbullying. We'll make sure that everyone has the same terminology. We talk about the impacts of cyberbullying on the student's mental health, physical health, behaviour. And then we always like to provide them with a strategy that they can take away. So for cyberbullying, we talk about the 4S approach. Stay calm, screenshot, shut it down and support. That is such a great and easy to remember strategy for young people. And I think it's so important what you've said there about ensuring that we all have the same terminology, the importance of all being on the same page about what is bullying or what is cyberbullying versus things that are 
just mean or unkind in that sort of one-off space or they're not meeting that threshold for bullying and cyberbullying. Is that something that you talk to the young people about in the session, that distinction between being unkind or being mean and what is actually bullying or cyberbullying? Yes, definitely. So in particular, in our bullying sessions, we talk about the difference between a mean moment compared to bullying. So bullying is about a power imbalance. It needs to be aggressive, it needs to be repeated, and it needs to be deliberate. Whereas a mean moment, it might be a once-off, it might be an accident, maybe it's out of that student's character, or maybe it wasn't intentional. So the reason it's so important to know the difference between bullying versus a mean moment is both of them can be very hurtful. It can bring up a lot of really tough emotions. It can make us feel hurt, upset, angry even. But how we approach it is going to look very different. And I think as well, it can also be a misinterpretation of what someone has said that makes it seem like what they're saying is something that's mean or aggressive, but it's actually just the way that we're reading the message potentially sometimes. Definitely, definitely. And even face-to-face, it's still hard to read those messages. And that's with our facial expressions, our body language, our tone, our speed of voice. And it's still hard to completely interpret what the other person means by what they're saying. Online, it makes it even harder. You don't have those facial expressions. You don't have that tone and speed of voice. You're only going off this small percentage of the word that they're saying online and typing. So misinterpreting online is very common. Yeah, it's a lot easier when we don't have all of those other things that we do have when we're speaking with someone face-to-face. So I think that that's so great that um, you're teaching young people the difference between those things and how to identify when perhaps they are misinterpreting something or when something is maybe just someone being mean or being unkind in that one-off kind of sense versus when something is bullying or cyberbullying. When it comes to differentiating between things that might be bullying or might be cyberbullying, you mentioned that one of those important factors is that the behaviour is repeated over time, so it's not just a one-off behaviour. Does that look different online? Yes, it does. And the reason for that is we may only post or comment one hurtful or mean comment. And that might be a once-off technically. But because it's online, people can screenshot it, they can save it, they can share it around. So that comment that you've shared, that photo, uh, can still be shared out repeatedly, even though you've only done one action. Even if you take it down, people can screenshot it and share that around quite quickly online. That is an important thing to note and remember is that just because something might be one-off in our world, it has the capacity to be shared multiple times and re-harm the person who is on the receiving end of that behaviour. And that's why it's so important to stop and think before you click send or post because in the moment we may share something quite quickly and we may it may be in the heat of the moment, we may feel quite angry, or quite stressed, or frustrated at a comment that we see. So we might send something straight away 
And we might even regret it straight away and try to take it down. And we all make mistakes. We're human. But if that ever does happen, it's really important that we tell someone, especially for our young people, encouraging them to seek support even when we've made a mistake so that they can have the support to find out the steps to take to adjust that behaviour online. How important do you think it is for young people to understand that when they are sharing things online, even if they do delete it, like you say, straight away, there is a potential that that has been screenshot? There's a sense of permanency when we're online on our technology. We always like to talk about positive online footprints and really trying to leave a positive trail behind us with everything that we do online. So that includes the posts that we share, the photos that we share, the comments that we like and react to online as well, the communities and the groups that we join as well. They're all leaving a trail behind us. And this trail that we leave behind us with our online footprints isn't like footprints in the sand. It isn't that they're going to come along and then be washed away once the water comes up. It's more like footprints in wet and sticky concrete that have dried. Uh, It can be really hard and sometimes even impossible to get rid of that trail. So what we want to educate our young people and inform them with is to empower them to make strong and wise choices whenever they're online. And that can start off by educating students about what their values are and educating them around empathy, understanding, and trying to inform them that there's a real person with real feelings behind that screen, behind that avatar that they're talking to which is easy to forget for anyone, adults and children. (laughs) I can think of a couple of examples in the last couple of years alone of celebrities who have experienced what it's like to have things that they have said online, reshared and brought up, and in particular, things that no longer align with their values or things that they've become more educated on in the last couple of years and have then had consequences on their present day life. So I absolutely agree. I think it's very important to remind young people that there is someone on the other side of the of the screen and that things which they're sharing may be there forever, even if it's deleted, and to maintain a sense of empathy, the same way that we would if we said something to someone in front of us and they became upset or they became angry at that, keeping in mind that the things that we say online will still have that impact. We just can't necessarily always see it. And as we were talking about before, we can't see their facial reaction. We can't see their expressions. So the question is, well, how can we support our young people in creating those stronger choices online? And it comes down to kind of a holistic approach. So getting a large number of community members to join in to educate our young people. So that might be educating them by role modelling positive behaviour. That might be educating them on tips and strategies of how to navigate the online world. Because the more that technology is being used, the more overlap there is between the physical face-to-face world and the online world. They're no longer two separate entities. It's a lot of extension of each other. Steph, something I'd like to unpack a little bit further was that 4S strategy that you mentioned earlier. Could you break it down a little bit more for us in terms of how young people can use those 4Ss and what that might look like for them? 
Definitely. So the 4S approach can be used by both the person being cyberbullied, but the person trying to be an upstander as well who sees cyberbullying happening and also parents or carers as well. So the first S is all about staying calm. So when we see a hurtful comment, when our children have maybe names thrown at them or if they see cyberbullying online, that can trigger a very strong and powerful emotional response. Uh, We can feel quite hurt, quite angry, frustrated, annoyed. So the students may respond back straight away with something hurtful back in the heat of the moment. But these may be comments that we regret or could be bullying that person back. So what we want to teach our young people is to stop, remove the hands from the keyboard and take the time to regulate those emotions. So that might be by taking a few deep breaths. Maybe some uh, young people will go get a drink of water. Maybe A young person needs a bit more time, so going outside, even having a bit of a play before coming back to the comment. I think as well for parents and carers, staying calm if our young person tells us that they're experiencing cyberbullying is such a great first step in the strategy because I think likewise for us, it can make us really angry or really sad or a little bit triggered if our young person's coming to us and telling us that they're experiencing bullying or cyberbullying and really evoke that response to want to protect them. So bringing it sort of back to what's happening and calming ourselves as the parent or carer can be really important for us then to follow the next three S's and ultimately provide support to them as well. Oh, definitely. And for both our children and parents and carers, if we're feeling heightened with our emotions, that frontal lobe, that smart brain is going to turn itself off quite quickly, which means it's going to be really hard to regulate those emotions to problem solve, which makes it really difficult to approach cyberbullying. So staying calm, that first step is really important. The second step is all about screenshotting. Now, this is a physical, tangible way to document that cyberbullying behaviour. So that might be by screenshotting the photo, the post that has been put on social media or through our games or our apps, and then saving that as well. Our children can also document, even in a book or a journal, the dates, the times, the comments, the emotional reaction, so they can have that evidence there as well. So what they can do with that is pass that on to trusted adults. But also if it reaches this this stage, they can use that as evidence to make a report to the police. With having the screenshots on the phone, the laptop, it can build up temptation to keep looking over those photos as well. So I really strongly encourage our children and our young people, once they've taken those screenshots, once they have a trusted adult there, like a parent, they can send or pass over those photos over to that parent and then delete it off their phone. They don't need to be seeing those mean comments, those pictures over Mm. and over again in their head. That's a really important way that parents and carers can provide support in this step of the 4S strategy is by having the screenshots and the evidence that's being collected stored on their device so that our child isn't tempted to 
sit there potentially looking at these screenshots, these comments over and over again. So by taking it off their main device and having it on ours, we can limit the amount of time or the amount of energy that they're putting into looking at these comments from other young people. And Ali, I know probably a lot of parents right now going, well, how do you screenshot potentially (laughs) um, on the different games or the different accounts? So another place to find out and educate ourselves on that space is by jumping onto eSafety and going on to the different different apps and the games and that information is on there. I think in terms of uh, any parents who are unsure about how to screenshot or how to screen record, asking their children can be a really great way to connect with them and to learn a new skill. I think our young people love teaching us about things that they know how to do on their (laughs) devices that we're perhaps not as familiar with. So asking them for advice on how to screenshot something or how to screen record um, can be a really great opportunity for connection as well. Yeah, and what a great way to bond um, our child getting excited to uh, share something that they're really passionate about as well and for a parent or carer to show that interest in them and what they're going through in their world. So we've got stay calm, we've got screenshot. Our third S is all about shutting it down. So there's a few ways we can do this. So it's about shutting down by going on our apps and our games and we might report or block on those apps and those games. The person doing the cyberbullying, we can also report cyberbullying to eSafety as well. So once again, our children are probably very familiar with this space. I know my nephew can jump on and and move around quite quickly. So shutting it down, we can report and seek support for our young people and children through that way. And again, I think that this is another really great opportunity for connection between parents and their children is by finding out together perhaps how to report someone through a particular app or through a particular social media platform, either by going through the app or platform together or like you say, by visiting the eSafety guide and finding out more about that specific app or platform through the guide. And our final one is all about seeking support. And once again, these four S's are for everybody and they can definitely be used in a few different ways. But seeking support isn't always easy. So what we want to do is try to encourage our young people and build up the knowledge around that they deserve that support. It's not asking too much by reaching out and telling somebody about what's going on for them. They deserve that. So what we want to do is help them acknowledge who they can turn to for support and making sure that they can trust that person. Because cyberbullying can impact our young people quite strongly. So we want to make sure that they know who they can trust and tell that to. So that might be uh, checking in with their parents or carers. That might be going to their teachers if they trust their teacher or their principal. That might be helping support them to contact Kids Helpline as well. Assisting our young people to access support services is really important um, and can be a really big part of the parent or carer's role in going through these four S's as part of this strategy. And I think too, an important reminder for parents and carers as well to seek support themselves if they need, whether that's through talking to a friend or another family member or contacting a service like Parentline and having a conversation around how they feel 
through providing support for their young person in this situation, it can potentially bring up a lot of really strong emotions like we've already sort of touched on today. And I think it's very important for parents to recognise when their young person maybe needs a bit of additional support, but also when they potentially need additional support as well. Oh, definitely, Alia. We all deserve that support, don't we? Especially in new spaces such as acidbullying. We for sure do, Steph. And another question that I wanted to ask about supporting young people who are experiencing bullying and cyberbullying was around some of the specific ways that young people who see cyberbullying happening can provide support to their peers who are experiencing it. So we talk about the difference between a bystander and an upstander. So a bystander is someone who sees bullying happening, whether that's physical bullying, verbal bullying, social bullying, cyberbullying, and they don't do anything about it. And with a bystander, they start to encourage the bullying, whether they're laughing if it's physical face-to-face, whether they're liking the post or the comment, and then maybe they start even joining in to that bullying by commenting themselves on the post. An upstander is someone who sees cyberbullying happening and they stand up and say, no, that's not okay. It's not about standing up and saying verbally, no, that's not okay. There are a few different ways to be an upstander. So we can check in and be a buddy and a friend to the person who we see is being bullied Mm -hmm. because cyberbullying and face-to-face bullying can bring up a large range of emotions. Feeling powerless, uh, feeling alone and isolated are some of the strong emotions that we often hear throughout our sessions. So checking in with that person, your friend, and seeing how they're going and then supporting them to do that for us approach supporting them to help them stay calm in the situation, to help them screenshot and save all the evidence, to help them shut it down by reporting the bullying to the game or the app or even reporting it to safety. And then another final one is all about that support. So encouraging that person to seek out a trusted adult, maybe you can even offer to go with them. Another way that we can be an upstander is by interrupting the bullying behaviour. So that might be, if we were to use physical face-to-face bullying as an example, going up and saying, hey, want to hang out? It might be going, hey, this teacher would like to see you. On the online world, it looks a little bit different. It might be interrupting their behaviour by uh, sharing a funny comment. That's nice, that's kind, that's positive. It might be there's a positive trend at the moment going around around a vibe check, (laughs) so writing vibe checks. So just to kind of bring people back to remind themselves to reflect on their behaviours online. Mm -hmm. Another way we can be an upstander is by telling someone. So going and telling someone, a trusted adult, about what you're seeing so that they can get the support that they need as well. And that can be done in the physical world and the online world. And the final one is all about speaking out. So if a child has the courage to stand up and say, hey, that's not cool. Hey, it's gone too far. It's reached bullying. We don't appreciate that kind of language here. Um, That can be really powerful in supporting that young person. And with that as well, whenever we are speaking out against bullying, against cyberbullying, we want to make sure that we're not using hurtful words back. We don't want to bully that person back. They're a real person behind that screen with real feelings. We just want to make sure that they know that the bullying behaviour is not okay. 
what I love about what you've said there is something that we hear a lot from young people is that there is a real sense of fear sometimes in either standing up to the person who is engaging in the bullying behaviours or even in telling a trusted adult about what's happening. And I think by a peer providing support to that young person, they can really help with overcoming that fear and getting support to either shut down the behaviours that are occurring or to take those next steps that that young person wants to take to deal with the situation that's happening. Definitely. And often I hear in our sessions, well, I don't want to dob on somebody. I don't want to tattle. I don't want to be a snitch. But the thing is, everyone deserves to feel safe and secure. That means at home, at school, in the physical world, and in the online world. And if that's not happening, we have a role to play. We have to step up and find ways to help support that person in feeling safe and secure again. So it's not tattling, it's not dobbing, it's not snitching. It's helping someone feeling safe again. I'd imagine that another situation where young people might feel fearful is in stepping in or being an upstander. How do you think that we as parents and carers and teachers can support young people to support their peers by being upstanders? That's a really good question. And as I mentioned before, it's about that holistic approach. So everyone does have a role to play. Throughout our sessions, uh, we often talk to young people and discuss with them about why they're more likely to turn to their friends potentially, or even to Google to search up how to respond to cyberbullying. And most of the comments that we hear from young people is coming from a place of fear. So there's fear around disappointing their parents because of maybe the cyberbullying occurring itself, but also around potentially what they've posted or shared online as well. The second is a fear around having their technology taken away from them. And as we know, for students and for young people, social media, technology, games, connection is so important. As humans, our brains search out connection and a way to do that in modern society is through technology. And having that taken away takes away that connection takes away a place to help regulate our emotions if, say, playing games or being creative online is a way that they help calm those tough emotions down as well. So as um, some advice for parents in supporting their young people to be an upstander if they see cyberbullying happening is to try to include their young person as much as possible in the decision-making process. A parent, a carer, a grandparent, a support network can support our young people by helping empowering them and educating them about how to approach cyberbullying if it does occur to themselves or if they see it happening to somebody else. So we can do that by including them in the decision-making process. So we might encourage them to touch base with their young person, to check in on them, their friend, maybe it's their cousin or somebody they know from school. A parent might support them in telling another trusted adult, maybe a teacher or even the principal of the school, if it's cyberbullying is occurring from another student. We can also support our young people by using it as an opportunity to connect with our children. So sitting down with them, exploring e-safety, exploring some additional tips together, 
and acknowledging to them that you don't know everything about technology. We work in the field and we don't know everything about technology. (laughs) (laughs) It's constantly changing. It's constantly adapting. But as we said, they're not two separate worlds anymore. It's not the physical world and the online world. It's an extension of each other. So what it comes back to is that connection, that rapport with your your young people, your, your children, making sure that they feel supported, but then also empowered to make those choices and those decisions. Really meeting them where they are at and encouraging them to come up with their own ideas of what they would like to happen next and then supporting those next steps with them rather than for them. Exactly. Something that I often hear from parents and carers and adults, and I'm sure you hear this a lot too, is that they feel like the distinction between the on and offline world is becoming a bit more blurred for young people. And I'm curious as to whether that's something that students talk about and identify themselves in your sessions. A lot of our young people in sessions talk about noticing how cyberbullying and face-to-face bullying can both impact us in such a strong way. So, for example, face-to-face bullying, often we can get away from that at the end of the day. Whereas cyberbullying can sometimes even be a little bit harder because we are always constantly connected to technology. So we take it home with us. We take it on holidays with us. So they are starting to notice that the impacts from the physical world and the online world bullying are starting to be quite similar. So impacts on our emotional health. So feeling stressed, feeling anxious, feeling angry. Also impacts on our mental health, and also our behaviour. So starting to notice that there's withdrawals with cyberbullying. Maybe we start to lose interest in the things we once loved. So like our games, our hobbies, even starting to impact our want to go to school if the person doing the cyberbullying does attend our school as well. So there is a lot of crossover. The crossover between bullying and cyberbullying can absolutely exacerbate those impacts that you're talking about there because we so often see that young people who are experiencing cyberbullying are also experiencing bullying at school or at a sporting club or at some other kind of thing that they attend regularly. So it's not only happening face-to-face, but it's also happening when they're at home, when they're connecting with their friends, when they're connecting with their family or when they're studying or researching things for school. So for them, it's really happening in their world, whether that is the on or offline world. And Steph, there is often a lot of fear reported by young people around telling their parents about cyberbullying in particular because they don't want their devices to be removed or have their time on them restricted. What are some of the things that students talk to you and the other Kids Helpline at School facilitators about in sessions around that fear? A lot of the young people do mention that fear. And once again, it's not just taking away technology. It's taking away their connection to their their peers. It's taking away that expression of who they are. It's taking away that chance for calming strategies as well. So parents know their children more than we do. But what I like to kind of compare it to is it's a new skill that we want to teach our children whenever they're online. So just like if we were teaching our students how to ride a bike, if they fell over, if they made a mistake, if they hurt themselves or got hurt, 
we wouldn't take the bike away completely and say, nope, you are never riding a bike again, because that can make them feel quite alone and isolated, especially if all their friends know how to ride a bike down the track. So what we can do is approach it from a knowledge base. So trying to empower our children, trying to provide them with the knowledge of how to make those wise choices online and be there to support them with that. So we can monitor it, we can take it in baby steps, but still providing them with that space with technology will help give them the opportunity to learn, whereas taking away that technology may feel like a consequence to the situation, but then it doesn't provide our young people the opportunity to learn and grow in the online space. So what we want to do is be there as a support for them and then start off with some training wheels, take away the training wheels in the online space so that they can feel empowered one day to make those strong choices that align with their values and your family values. I really love what you've said there about the consequences of particular actions because I think that to us as adults, it feels like we are taking away their technology potentially to protect them or to teach them a consequence or whatever the case might be for different individual situations. But for young people, especially those who have come to us saying that they're experiencing cyberbullying, they're on that receiving end or they've just seen something online and they're not sure how to be an upstander, I would imagine it would potentially feel like the consequence of having their device taken away from them is that they feel like they're being punished for being honest about what they're experiencing or what they've seen online. Is that something that they talk about in sessions as well? Yes, we've had that definitely come up in sessions before. And as a result of that, They may start to learn that, well, when I reach out, when I build up the courage to seek support from a trusted adult, I get punished. I lose the things that I care about. So what's going to happen is that they could potentially stop reaching out. And we don't want that to happen. So what we want to do is encourage them to reach out, create that safe space and be there for them. And we can do that and we can help educate them without that physical punishment of taking away the device. I think it comes back to as well that the idea of working with our young people in these types of situations. So working with them to build their understanding of perhaps why we want to take a particular course of action and working with them to understand what the course of action that they would like to happen is as well and seeing if we can provide support to them in that space. Yeah, definitely. And I'm blown away throughout my sessions about the advice that the young people have um, or the knowledge that they already have. Some things I haven't even thought of before. So giving them that space and being an active listener as a parent, as a carer, is so important because your children still might even surprise you. They definitely do with me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. In your experience with being both a Kids Helpline at School facilitator and being a Kids Helpline counsellor, what do you think is something that's really important for parents and carers to be aware of when it comes to cyberbullying? When your, your, your children or your grandchildren are coming to you and seeking support, it's really important to create that safe space. 
as carers, as parents, we may have the urge to jump straight in. And that's really natural to want to protect our children, kind of like protecting our bear cub. But what we want to do is take a second to step back and give them the space to share what's going on for them. Whether that's the person being cyberbullied, maybe your child is the person seeing the cyberbullying happening, maybe your child's coming to you about that they're the ones who've been doing the cyberbullying. So what we want to do is firstly praise them for reaching out because that takes a lot of courage and I would strongly encourage parents to do that. Often we want to jump in and be the fixers straight away. So taking that time to stop, step back, acknowledge that space and then include your young person in that conversation as well. So talking to them about what approach they would like to take and then sitting with them and encouraging them along the way and supporting them with that. So what it comes back down to is that empathy, that connection, and that support for our young people. You don't need to be an IT whiz. (laughs) You don't need to know all the social media accounts. I think it's so important to remember what you're saying there about parents and carers don't need to be an IT whiz. That's not why our young people are coming to us. They're coming to us because they would like help with getting the behaviour stopped. And I completely agree that it's really important that we, as parents and carers, stop, take a breath, acknowledge the courage that that young person has had in coming to us and saying, this is what I'm experiencing. Because I think as we've touched on, it can be really scary to tell someone about what's happening to us. And then really supporting them with their own decision making, supporting them to come up with solutions or come up with ideas of what they would like to happen next. And if they're really stuck, stepping in and saying, okay, well, how about we do this? Or how would you feel about this? But I completely agree. I think it's very important to remember that they're not expecting us to know what Discord is or what <laughs> what a particular online game is or how it works. They're just wanting that support in that situation. And it all comes back to that empowerment, doesn't it? Talking to our young people, our children, to help them feel empowered to make those strong choices online. And then also empowering them and educating them about where to find that information. Because as we know, social media, games, that's always going to be constantly adapting and changing. So providing our students and our young people with the knowledge about where to find information on how to approach situations like mean comments or being kind online or cyberbullying so that as they grow, become teenagers, become adults, potentially parents themselves, they can then educate the next generation as well. And we're thinking long-term there. Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. It really has been so insightful and you've shared so many tips and tricks that will be so useful for parents, not only for themselves, but for them to teach to their young people as well. Thank you, Alia, for having me. And thank you, the parents, for clicking on the link. You've already taken that step in supporting your children by trying to educate yourself around some additional tips and strategies. I'm now joined by Kim Harper, who is a parenting expert and the parent line manager to discuss what we've learned today and how you can use this information when parenting your children and young people. Kim, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Steph and I spoke about this idea that for young people, the on and offline world aren't two separate things anymore. And I think that this has been something that has been a bit of a theme throughout this podcast and in particular is something that parents and carers can really struggle to understand. What are your thoughts on some of the ways that parents and carers can better understand this concept? Um, I think it's important to kind of actually have some conversations around it, to actually kind of sit down, have a think about it, because it's not something that we will actively talk about or really kind of acknowledge because it's something that's happened quite subtly. So if we kind of talk about it right now, like let's actually kind of break it down a little bit. If we think about when parents, you know, were younger, they would come home from school And if they wanted to socially interact, then they would usually go outside and play with their neighbours. They would be home by dinner time, whatever that kind of looked like, depending on where you lived and what your situation was as well. There was also kind of really, there were boundaries there. You know, there were clear boundaries to the day and how that day existed. The child would be at school. They would interact with their friends at school. That would be the end of it at 3 p.m. They would come home. There was clear boundaries to the play that they were having. The parents knew each other. There was a, It was a whole different way of socially interacting back then. What we need to understand is that that is carried all through the day with our our kids now. So they've got access to that kind of environment, that play environment, that social environment, and it's in their pocket. It's in their pocket consistently. So we don't have these clear divides throughout the day that we can actively recognise. It's a, it's a lot more of a more kind of subtle, murky, murky space for a parent, which can be really easy to overlook sometimes, I think, because it is that just subtle space that kind of exists for our kids these days. But it's something that we want to consciously think about is that there is that there, there's no kind of switch off there. So in terms of when we when we speak about the fact that there might be some negative kind of social interactions, some cyberbullying, things going on for our kids, then that follows them in their pocket. It's at school. It's on the bus on the way home. It's walking home from school. It's when they get into their bedroom and, heaven forbid, they take the device into the toilet. It follows them everywhere. So it's something that we want to be conscious about. And it's sometimes not so easy for parents to be conscious about that because it's not our experience. That wasn't our experience at all as as we grew up. We want to have these kind of conversations, and I guess it's something that we want to add into our awareness When I say adding into our awareness, it's understanding that if our kids are going through a negative experience in that space, then that is a constant. That's a constant. It's not that we've got a kid that's scared to see a certain other child at school. That child has the ability to contact your child at any given time. The way that you have spoken about it there, I think, is such a great way to conceptualise the lack of distinction for young people between their on and offline world because they're constantly connected. Even when they're at school in classrooms, they can be connecting with their peers or people outside of their school through their devices. So they're kind of always switched on. I think something that Vanessa specifically spoke about in in the earlier episode where I interviewed her was around having the space and capacity to switch it off sometimes, which can be really difficult when 
as a child or a young person, you're so used to always being switched on. And I suppose as parents and carers, I see that as part of our role is to encourage our kids to have times where they are switched off from the online world. It's one of those things in terms of parenting in 2022, it's something to be aware about that we want to integrate into our parenting from a really early age because kids are on devices earlier and earlier. We really want to normalise the fact that they can switch off, that they're not going to miss out on things. The fact that we are going to do things connected in real life with our family and friends, and that's really important. I think what we want to normalise is exactly what you've said. But we want to start that young and we want to make it like it doesn't mean that we can't start it at any point in time. It's going to be harder, though. It's definitely and it's acknowledging that it's going to be hard. I think parents think that it should just be this easy thing that we're like, well, you've been on that, you know, for hours. You're not going to go on it for another two days. It's understanding what that's going to mean to their child as well. But if we're starting it from a really early age and creating a sense of balance and a sense of control over their online world how important that is to have a sense of control over their online world and that things aren't just happening to them, that they can put they can put boundaries in place in their own online world, just like we can within our, you know, when we were at school and this stuff didn't exist, right? We could put boundaries in place and we had options if we were in a bad situation. Our kids have, to have options in an online world too and we want to normalise that for, for them from a really early age. I think for some people, myself included, it can help to conceptualise the differences and the similarities between the on and offline world to understand that things really aren't that different for our kids. So yes, perhaps they're doing their afternoon socialising on a device rather than being out on the street with, with the other kids who live on the street, but it is similar in the sense that, you know, just as when we were kids, we had to come inside when it was dark. Perhaps young people have to put their devices away half an hour before bed or at the dinner table, for example. Definitely, definitely. Like, I think that this is still down to relationships. We put the concept of online and we put, you know, obviously that's what this podcast is about, so it's really important, but it's still coming down to relationships, maintaining relationships with their social world and maintaining their relationships with their family. It's about parents knowing what their social world is. When we think about when the kids were playing on the street, the nine times out of ten, parents, you know, the mothers knew each other, had met each other, they were neighbours too. So understanding what your kids are doing, are they still going to do things that you don't know about? Yes. Are they still going to get into some trouble sometimes? Yes. Are they still going to uh, have to problem solve things that come their way in their social world? Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they look different, but they're still the same skills that are coming at them, regardless of if they're on the street, playing within that space, or if they're online. When we were kids and we were playing on the street, if things were a little bit outside our scope, then I'd go get my mum to help me. That's what we want. We want to create relationships that if, if things in the online world are out of their scope and they're feeling like they need that help, that they feel safe enough that they can come and talk to their parents without being banned of going outside to play. Right. That's the, I think that's where we want parents to understand the online world and the similarities there. Because if something bad happened to me, then my mum wasn't going to ban me from going outside to play forever. Right. So we want to be able to kind of bring down the big scary thing that is the online world and understand and how do we be included in our children's online world. 
The example that you've used there, I think is so great from the perspective that if I had gone to my mum, for example, because something had happened to me while I was playing outside and she had banned me from going outside, I probably wouldn't have told her the next time that something happened. And that is such a common thing that young people talk about is the fear of getting their devices taken away from them. And so that example is a really good way to conceptualise that the on and offline world aren't that different. And it's important to remember that when we're looking at the things that happen to our children online. I agree. Kim, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about anything we've discussed on today's episode, access free resources or get in touch with the show, please visit parentline.com.au and hit the cyberbullying tab. If you'd like to talk privately with a professional counsellor, please call Parentline on 1300 30 1300 or visit parentline.com.au to chat to us online.